Authorized is on Patreon. Head to patreon.com slash authorized pod if you want to support us. For $3 a month, you can help us buy these books. For $6 a month, we'll give you a shout-out on the podcast. And for even more money, you can demand that we read and discuss a certain novelization. Pretty cool. If we get enough listeners, we will start putting out bonus episodes, so tell your friends. Authorized.com. It's not authorized.com. What? Patreon.com slash authorized pod. Welcome to Authorized, a podcast where we intently read the novelization of any film fortunate enough to have one. Novelizations are works of narrative prudishness. With each line, these books walk to the cliff's edge of creativity, almost doing something, aching to do something, before retreating in shame. Treating the film that birthed them like a sacred document that cannot be changed for fear of eternal damnation, Novelizations show a fervent loyalty to their source text not seen since the Crusades. Simultaneously, these books distort time and space itself, adding near to nothing, but still somehow running a full 250 pages. Any individual page sports only the barest description of the funny, energetic plot. And yet, somehow, like Mary Poppins' bag or Doctor Who's TARDIS, these small vessels contain multitudes of dreck. Like if humanity discovered the Stargate and all that ever came out of it was closed captioning. Novelizations may have an anti-television agenda, but they themselves are the real idiot box. We are your hosts, a loose coalition of novelization enthusiasts. I think it's kind of obvious I didn't like this one. <laughs> My name is Andrew Overby. My name is Hannah Blackman. The Cable Guy is a 1996 comedy thriller directed by Ben Stiller, doing a great job. It follows Stephen Kovacs, an architect who is forced to move into his own plat, forced to move into his own place after a proposal to his girlfriend Robin is rebuffed. When Stephen allows a cable television installer into his new home, he quickly finds that his polite insecurities in oh, geez, I'm doing a great job today, huh? Well, this is a beautiful sentence, but it does have like six clauses in it. Andrew does this to me all the time. He's like, I constructed a very complicated sentence, and I refuse to read them in advance. So, Hannah, do you? I, yes. I don't, so I'm actually asking. But yeah. do you have like any history with public speaking? I mean, I like acted, but I didn't do like high school debate team or whatever. This is not a dig. I feel like this is coming off as mean. I, I just wonder because like. Whenever I'm writing with the intention for something to be read, it r leads to these like run-on sentences, and I'm like, "Is that normal for public speakers?" Hmm. 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 Mm. Who knows? <laughs> no answer. We speak differently than we uh, write, and you and I often. speak differently. Anyway, mm. let's continue. <laughs> 
<laughs> when Stephen allows a cable television installer into his new home, he quickly finds that his polite insincerities, extremely useful elsewhere in life, are seen as giant neon welcome signs by the effusive, intrusive stranger. As the titular cable guy insinuates himself into every corner of Stephen's life, Stephen finds his new friend's insights and ideas are sometimes rich and rewarding. But will the cost of them, a complete lack of privacy and boundaries, become a problem? Or will Stephen be able to let his utility worker turned utility friend down easily? Probably not, but who knows? The novelization of The Cable Guy was written by Harriet Gray, based on the story by Lou Holtz Jr. and the screenplay by Judd Apatow. It was published by St. Martin's Paperbacks in 1996. I am skeptical that Harriet Gray is a real person who uses their real name (laughs) when publishing. And uh, I think also might be a man. Uh, You know, sometimes they rebrand sort of Alan Smithy style. Um, Famously, Die Hard with a Vengeance. They tried to make it look like it wasn't a woman writing the book by just calling them D. Cheel. Mm, Essie hinted, we know. Introduce mm. our guest. Of our course. Guest. Our guest today, the host of the podcast High and Mighty, also the host of the podcast Action Boys, and one of the hosts of the travel, cuisine, lifestyle television series, 101 Places to Party Before You Die, now streaming on HBO Max. John Gabris, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm wonderful, Andrew and Hannah. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. Let me kick us off by asking you, before we even talk about the cable guy, what is your relationship, if any, to the art form of the movie novelization? Um, You're throwing around the word art form here. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of novelizations, but I don't seek them out almost ever. Mm-hmm. Um, I did when I was a kid, like as any excuse to just wring more blood from the stone of Ninja Turtles or whatever movie came out that I was obsessed with at the time, like eventually at the Scholastic Book Fair or like I beg my mom on a mall trip to pop into B. Dalton or and look for the Secret of the Ooze novelization or some shit <laughs> like that. But I could care less. The uh, This Cable Guy <laughs> novelization is like... Uh, the second novelization I've read as an adult. Uh, I've re- uh, the other one was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and that's just because I'm a 40-year-old white film guy, so I, I'm obsessed with Quentin Tarantino, of course. Uh, I got to say, though, I, I am famous for seeing a movie, finding out it's based on a book, and then reading the source material, mm. even though ha- even though it's you know spoiled like crazy for me. I will do that because I love the differences game. Um, and I love that conversation, and I love the internalization of the narrators. As a matter of fact, that was my favorite thing about the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood uh, novelization is that it got inside of Cliff's head and got and like you got to hear or understand some more and it, it, you know some prose backstory that we didn't see clips of in the and like QT knew what he was doing. He's like, I cut a bunch of stuff that's in the movie, but I added a bunch of like internal stuff. So so if you watch the movie, you can enjoy my novelization a different way. Cable guy. We'll talk. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a a firm believer with the Once Upon a Time novelization, which basically rendered our podcast in two because no one could agree on whether it was quality or not. I loved it, but it felt like a completely different cliff to me. He's like going to France and going, oh, maybe I should become a pimp, Mm, but I wouldn't be able to have sex often enough. It seems exhausting. 
(laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it feels a a bit like uh, he's setting up a potential like anthology series about like about the character. Like uh, like Glamorama is to Rules of Attraction. Uh, The way they're like, hey, this kid went off for a semester to study abroad, and it's like uh, that'll eventually be its own novel, and you'll and that'll be intense or whatever. Uh, I w- I'm here. I'm here for the fucking chronicles of Cl- exactly. I'm here for that. <laughs> Every single book will chronicle someone that uh, Cliff brutally murdered, but with good reason. <laughs> yeah, and each each book is about a, a murder victim or a woman he slept with, and sometimes they're the same person. Speaking specifically of the cable guy, uh, I'm assuming that you'd seen it prior to coming on this podcast. Is that correct? That is, cr- I did not rewatch it recently. I did not watch it since we booked this, but it is a movie that I saw so much growing up. And uh, weirdly enough, I didn't realize why so many elements of the movie resonated with me until arguably uh, the quiz we're going to do at the end of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bit of a latchkey kid. I had TV as a babysitter. I, ho- I formally hosted a podcast called Raised by TV, which was like sort of based on that premise. Uh, that I grew up watching a lot of TV. So Cable Guy, the movie, hit me super hard. And it's really funny to read anything that's like supp- would be performed by Jim Carrey. Because like, <laughs> it is a he- challenge for many a writer. <laughs> yeah. He's not in the words, really. You know what I mean? Like, you don't read, Car- you don't read Ch- Jim in those words. Uh, and even, I bet you, when you re- if you read the screenplay, it wouldn't have sung as much as it did once he started reading it. My uh, my favorite thing, to, to, a little off topic that you used to do on Raised by TV is what, what were they called? The first and lasts. Yeah, the pilot and the finale of different shows <laughs> that we had never seen. Yeah, it was bananas. <laughs> <laughs> it was, and like we did it for ER, and like it was like this episode has aired fifteen years later. Like, like, and, and no one, no one is the same. They're like, and it's like shows grow so much in that back in the day. Like you used to have like you know one hundred and seventy five episodes to develop, and characters would come and go, and it was it's a wild experience doing that for sure. But it's like I don't ever want to watch Veronica Mars now. Like that burned me so hard. <laughs> yeah, these people ideal. are suddenly married and recast. What the hell? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> In regard to The Cable Guy and its very specific sort of comedic flavor that you were alluding to where, you know, it very much, the identity of the movie is the identity of Jim Carrey to a certain degree. We have recently, pretty recently covered both Sonic the Hedgehog movies, which is an interesting contrast to this novelization because the guy who wrote the Sonic the Hedgehog novelizations, which were for children, was just amazing at being like, I'm making up a line but I'm making up a line that sounds like Jim Carrey would really say it. <laughs> I wasn't going to bring it up right away, but you're, I was thinking about the, that the whole time reading The Cable Guy. Like, some people can write Jim Carrey, but not Harriet Gray. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah, what do you think? What do you think of the writing in this book? Oh, it's bad. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, th- this is... Maybe the worst version of a novelization, unfortunately, where it's like very beat for beat wrote, not showy, not trying anything exciting. Um, And a lot of the writing is somehow like he crossed the room and felt weird about it, period, (laughs) Um, which uh, feels like nothing and does not communicate the like tense thriller of the movie at all. 
Yeah, well, it, this feels like a what is the no, who is this novelization for? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you guys discuss on your pod, but is it like it wasn't an old school way to just like ring a few more bucks from an IP or something like that? Like, if you can get a publishing house to throw you some money and you gave uh, a, a ghostwriter <laughs> like uh, like Harry Grayson and his uh, female numb de plume, uh, <laughs> Harriet Gray, it makes no like this movie does not need one at all, and the movie's tone is so wild. Mm-hmm. It's such like a ambient feeling, ambient feeling, ambient feeling, such an ambiance, ambient. It's such an ambient feeling that it's not conveyed at all in the book. And then even like the humor of the movie is not in the words either. So it's like this complex thing where the book doesn't convey, the book reads like a bad single white female ripoff <laughs> and the movie is like sort of that is the premise that's happening at this it's a comedy single white female or something like that but this book reads like it doesn't ramp up the tension like it ends with his guy's girlfriend being kidnapped and held <laughs> hostage like at like a like to, uh, in a precarious deadly situation so it doesn't give it that credence and it doesn't give it the humor it mostly and yes, the character of Chip or Larry Tate or the Jim Carrey, as we grew up calling it as kids, like is annoying on paper. So he comes across as exclusively annoying in this book, and it's like, <laughs> as a matter of fact, everyone in this book comes across as annoying. Robin, Kovacs, and Chip Douglas, and the Jack Black character, the friend. They all yeah. seem annoying. They are all mad at each other, and it's it's just four cranky losers. And this thing reads like a fucking brochure. I, I'm not a good... This is the first book I've read in 2023. First book I've read in months. It took me fucking like two hour-long sittings. It's barely... It's so thin. It's so nothing. It really is. I mean, as a piece of physical media, like the biggest print I've encountered in an adult book in a really long time. Oh, Sped through it just like flipping pages because there's no depth there. There's nothing to like parse on any page. There's nothing you have to think about. I was a PA uh, at VH1 back in the day and my job was to transcribe interviews frequently. This feels like someone had Cable Guy on and was like, okay, and then, yeah, they were at, she's at dinner, uh, gets beat up in the bathroom, like just cranking out like just like on uh, single viewing the surface of what's going on in the fucking... And it's like, it, it, I, like the whole time I'm reading this, I'm like, this is something I would have purchased in 1996. <laughs> and... I would have been like, dude, you got to read the Cable Guy novelization. And I'm reading it now, like, embarrassed. Like, I need to watch the movie in the next, like, few days so that, mm-hmm. like, uh, this po- positive memories of the, of, the, <laughs> of the thing come back to me. I mean, Andrew, in opposition to your intro, there are added scenes and added details in I, this I agree book, with that. But they feel so rote to the rest of the transcription that I, they reading it, I was like, well, I've seen The Cable Guy and this is definitely in it because <laughs> this woman's not trying. Right. <laughs> but then there's, I mean, technically there is stuff in there that is additional. I don't feel that this is the most rote novelization we've ever read. <laughs> and for for the record, Gabrus. It's a it's a pretty like low bar I would, though. I would right, say right. the amount of novelizations that we really love are surprisingly high, right? Like 
It's probably two thirds of them that were like, wow, the author really brought something new, whatever. Maybe we've been Stockholm Syndrome <laughs> is a fair thing, though. Like, maybe we've read enough of these that we're like, that thing is an, a masterpiece. And the answer is that it's acceptable. Maybe we're <laughs> subconscious, <laughs> subconsciously validating our podcast <laughs> constantly with each other. I'm actually really liking novelizations <laughs> because I dedicate a lot of time each week to doing this. <laughs> I com- completely experience ego death if I think other. Otherwise, uh, but Hannah, I, kind of, I, I really meant what I wrote in the intro, which is like, I don't think that there are no divergences here. I think that Gray knows that in writing this book, there have to be little flourishes. And so there are little flourishes on like individual sentences, little lines are changed. And I have some that I'll, I'll point out as we go through, but the author is never brave enough to make a real change or to write a real paragraph that is like, let's really do introspection. Let's really do uh, character background that we wouldn't have seen in the movie. She's always like, instead of um, just doing what he did to Owen Wilson in the bathroom, he also did something weird to his nipples. And you're like, Ugh, technically you made that up. And thank you, Harry. <laughs> In defense of uh, our podcast, which is now under attack by John Gabris. Um, <laughs> but one, one thing I do really like about the form is that even though this is the, the bad side of it, this is the underside of the rock, it does unmoor us from the expectation of like, what is good, what is bad. Because the flip side of this also happens, where you pick up a novelization of a book that you don't like the movie or think it's good at all, and it's great. I mean, who, maybe we're Stockholmed, but we love and sing the praises of Cowboys and Aliens. <laughs> the novelization okay, is a masterpiece. Uh-huh. And yeah... <laughs> All right, and let's just walk behind this barn, Andrew, and uh, <laughs> ignore the sound of the pistol cock. <laughs> now, I, this may sound like we're losing it a little over here, but we love the novelization of Cowboys and Aliens. Hey, I'll have to listen to the episode to make my own judgment, but you sound crazy, bro. <laughs> I think it is. It, it's important that we read The Cable Guy and said this sucks, though. Yeah. Like, still acknowledges we have a baseline. We know that some things but are it, bad. It's exciting to like. It's very rare these days to wander into like a movie with with how saturated criticism is and everything. To wander into a movie and be thinking, I really don't know that much about whatever this is, uh, and to be really shocked by what you see. Novelizations bring that back to me. They bring back that cable feeling of flipping through the channels. What is this on TNT? Oh, it's amazing. Or Oh, it has a great actor in it, but this is the worst movie I've ever seen. Either way, I'm not looking away. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, where should we start with this book, Hannah? What do you think? Oh, my God. I don't know. Do you think Harriet Gray, uh, when the three of us purchased these, Harriet Gray got like 11 cents deposited <laughs> into some account, and she's like, what the fuck, dude? These people are buying this book. <laughs> I bought mine used, so uh, certainly not. <laughs> oh, I think I might I might have, too. Mine had some notes in the margins of like... Sorry to Harriet. My, the notes in my margins kept saying stuff like, please kill me, love Harriet. <laughs> like, I didn't know what they were... I didn't know what they were referring to or anything like that. Please, I don't want to be writing this. I'm being forced to. She's shipping them all from her closet. She's dropping them out the window. Um, yeah, so the book begins with just a great taste of how the pros do basically nothing. So 
chapter one says <laughs> the television had a 27 inch screen closed captioning a universal remote and every other feature the discriminating viewer could want it was big it was sleek it was cutting edge okay so far Stephen Kovacs stood in the middle of the empty living room in his brand new apartment, impatiently flipping channels on the remote control box. Nothing but snow and the faint outlines of indistinguishable figures showed on the screen, and the sounds of static and white noise were deafening. Every time he changed the channel, a new ghostly, wavering image would appear. This, I find, is pretty standard for this book, which is like, she's not writing it with the lowest vocabulary she possibly could, but she's also not saying anything about character at any moment. It does feel like she did uh, uh, transcribe the movie, send it (laughs) in, and whoever works at... Hold on, the the name is funny. Whoever works at uh, St. Martin's Paperbacks was like, like, hey, you know, they have to be at least 200 pages. And she's like, okay. And then went back to the beginning of each paragraph and was like, here is 70 adjectives describing the location of where we start. Like, it's like clearly... And Hannah called it out with like the font and the spacing and the margins. This feels like a, a select all, 13 font, courier new. Like, oh, all right, got an 11-page essay. Here you go, teach. It's like, this is six pages of words. It's like, well, I did the bare minimum. Like, it, it reeks... Like you're saying, she's not saying anything in two paragraphs. And it's not like it's... Um, you know, David Foster Wallace of like, oh, that's an interesting creative run on. It's just like, it's a, the first paragraph of the book is 28 words describing a TV, which will not be in the book or movie for much longer. Like the TV is replaced. It makes me wonder if she was allowed to see some cut of the film, even if it didn't have like the lead actors, if, if she was able to see some sort of whatever, like second unit, because this is one of the devices of the movie is that it comes in on the fuzz of the TV and then throughout it's cutting to the Sam Sweet Ben Stiller trial and 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 all of this stuff and even if that's I believe they were speaking Asian yeah <laughs> sorry <laughs> that joke is stuck in my head and I was mad <laughs> I can't imagine that she saw any version of the movie mm. that looks like what we saw if only because I think Ben Stiller is directing the shit out of this movie yes. it like looks gorgeous he's like using the camera in such like rich thoughtful ways and you'd think that some of that would bleed into the writing if she had seen it yeah you're right it's not there and Maybe this is just because I literally finished Severance last night uh, for the first time and directed by Ben Stiller. It feels like that had me thinking reading this. I was like, man, he can be accidentally bleak. Like, like not actually like uh, subconsciously bleak, rather like uh, not like you you don't realize. And that's what Cable Guy kind of is. As it was a huge, huge movie in my life, and it was on cable all the time. I was one of the latchkey kids, and hey, don't do anything to mock me. Don't ever challenge that. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you ever bring up the idea that I'm a latchkey kid. I will flip out and storm out of here. Don't you ever call me loved by my parents ever. (laughs) Yeah, God help us all. But uh, Cable Guy was one of those movies, and I loved it. And and it was and something that was rich about it is you got a little something more out of it each time, and you also realized sort of how depressing Larry, like you start to feel for Chip Douglas. That is not evident at all in the book, and I don't think a reread would help you find some of the stuff <laughs> in the subtext. I'm not sure how much subtext there is. Seems like a kiddie pool over here, but 
there was some stuff that was moody enough that makes me think she uh, saw a some cut of the movie early on or read the script and mm-hmm. the script had like the static stuff in it because like it there's a lot of stuff that is close and sorry I'm like rambling here but overall no, you're good. The big takeaway for me from the book that is maybe something that is apparent in the movie, but spoke I noticed now upon reading this novelization is how Stephen is like a Kovacs is like a fifty percent of the way to being Chip. Yes, like I and I I didn't. Yeah, I would. I agree. I did not pick that up in the movie ever because I'm because you're watching Matthew Broderick, the world's greatest boring straight man up against <laughs> Jim Carrey, the one of the yes. wildest performers ever. So you never feel that they're similar at all. But in this read, I was like, oh, yeah. And Robin calling him out like, yeah, sounds familiar. Left you a bunch of voicemails and stuff. And it's like, that was the moment I was like, oh, shit. He's not even picking up on that. Like, And that, that was the only enrichment I felt uh, that I hadn't previously felt about the film before, which, which you know, is worth it for a movie I've seen like a hundred times. <laughs> Famously, me and my brother, one time he slept in my room at, we used to do like, uh, once we, we used to share a room growing up and then when we didn't anymore, every once in a while we would like think it would be a fun treat to sleep on each other's floor and like have a slumber party. And he slept on my floor one night and we went line by line for Cable Guy. The, exa- wow. the entire movie. Oh, my God. And we would do shit like, no, no, oh, dude, no, we forgot the waitress at Medieval Times. Like, okay, go back to Medieval Times. And we go back to Medieval Times and be like, uh, sorry, no utensils in Medieval Times. Can I, more Pepsi? You know, like, and we would just like, we did, that's how much this movie was on cable. And that, the irony that this movie ran like, cra- like the meta-ness of the fact that this movie ran like crazy on cable, that me and my brother, two latchkey kids in the 90s, watch this like every fucking day while our parents weren't home sitting too close to the tv like all that shit it's like not zooming out i was like oh man i wish i had an adult in my life to be like hey you could end up like this guy (laughs) (laughs) i'm imagining two two young boys lying awake at the end of that going like second grip elmer reynolds (laughs) (laughs) novelization by harriet gray (laughs) no i completely agree with your point about the about stephen coming off as more predatory and more manipulative in the book i think it's the main virtue of the book is that harriet gray really zooms in on that we even start to get a little taste of it before uh, Robin is a prominent character. In the first chapter, it says, uh, he's talking to Rick, and he goes, he's he's in his home, right? Like, alone as all the furniture's coming in. And he says, so what time are you coming by? Sorry, I can't, Rick told him cheerfully. I'm working double shifts the rest of the week. He was on his own, bereft even. And his best friend wasn't going to come over and help him drown his sorrows with a couple of six-packs? It's my first night here, Stephen said making sure to throw an extra little note of pathos into his voice. Don't do this to me. He's manipulating people from very early in the book, and then when it gets to the Robin thing, because it's romantic, it it goes super sane. He becomes crazy. <laughs> Andrew, can I ask a really fast question to you? What edition of this book do you have? This cover? Interesting. Ooh, I, we so have the, a... the line you just read about he's not going to come drink beer with me is not in my book. Oh, my God. And all of the like, like sexy porn stuff that's in the movie is not in this book. 
do, do you we, have a junior? is there a different, I don't think it's, I mean, it's not a junior. It's 230 pages long. I think I have the like, same one as you because it doesn't, doesn't have the uh, sex worker uh, uh, trick yes, that from, at the party. from the movie. Yeah, that's because I was wondering and I was like, oh, that makes sense to take it out of the novelization. <laughs> but is it in your novelization, Andrew? With the sex worker? Yeah. This is a, from the sex worker passage. It says, um, so yes, says, that's crazy. short answer. Yes. Long answer. Here's the passage. <laughs> it says their, their simultaneous orgasm was like the perfect cable hookup. No, I made that up. Um, <laughs> oh my god! I would have, I would have bought it. I believed it. I was like, "Oh, that makes total sense." She's in there though. What that? Okay. Wow. The, I, this is interesting to me. Do you guys have the part in the book where he holds up the wires uh, as he's connecting the cable, and he's like, mm, "I think we should leave these two in a lo- alone in a room together." No. Wow. I don't think so. so we're discussing different texts by the same author, which I is guess insane. so. Now, real quick, that. Uh, Hannah, you didn't have this like nipple tweak in the bathroom that he was in the men's room that he's referring to either, right? Because I was confused when you said that earlier. Yeah, I thought you were just like, kind of riffing on like the concept. Uh, same, and, and, and I was like, oh yeah, that's funny. Like that's weird. Yeah, I can see that. And like, and now that we're it's coming to light. Because the other thing that was missing from this, I, I was wondering, because the line is so clear to write like the password is nipple. Yeah. Like I was expecting that. I was like, oh, that's a perfect. Line I have the password is nipple. Ah! Wait, but there's suddenly there's, this has become fuck? so much more interesting. <laughs> oh Wait. my god! Now I have to read this again, <laughs> but the cooler adult version. I don't have the time for this. My wife will leave me. She will, she will say I'm widowed. <laughs> I just don't understand. That is that is why fucking crazy. What's your publication date? 1996. Yeah, I'm 96 as well, but you don't have anything June. on the cover saying junior novelization or... I mean, there's no... No. No. And this is not a junior novelization. Like, the font is big, but this is a full-length book written for adults for sure. It's just, like, cut for cable, it feels like. This makes so much more sense because when you said that your book had the biggest print you're used to seeing in a novelization, I was thinking, does Hannah only read the encyclopedia? <laughs> Like, this is normal it, print. So yours looks normal? <laughs> yours is like a yeah, regular pretty, pretty yes. normal. Mine's like blank pages between chapters and shit. Mm-hmm. This thing like flies. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Do, do you have any Do you have the little photos? TV drawing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have the TV drawing on well, every chapter. I'm glad chapter. we all have okay. the TV drawings. I have no insert photos. Mm-hmm. Me neither. The, mm-hmm. As a piece of physical media, huge letdown. Would love to just see photos of Chip in color in the middle of this book. Do you have this? Where the title page of the book is formatted yeah, like it's... Yeah, just different, different font, different though. Different yeah. font. So for the listener, the title page is formatted like it's coming up on a, a TV screen. It's it's a hot dog instead of hamburger. It's mm. truly the best thing about the physical media, because they, they, there's nothing interesting about the way the book's formatted. My cover is super funny. I like the cover a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you have, have a good a cover. cover. We, have the, we have the movie poster cover. This is obviously... The one that came out a little later because they're using the actual like uh, Paramount Pictures key art or whatever Universal mm-hmm. Studios key art. So like, that's so fucking weird. Like that's so- now we're talking about a time where it's impossible. Like no one's making books. People aren't really even making movies right now. It's like a crazy fucking time, and. We're talking about a time back in the day where someone can make a movie, and Cable Guy wasn't that successful. Um, and it has 
two different novelization versions. Like, that's fucking crazy. I, fucking Harriet Gray got paid twice. I mean, I wonder <laughs> if she wrote Andrew's version and the publishers put it out and it sold okay, not great. And they're like, you have to make it more accessible. Kids are liking this movie on cable. Snip it down, make it family friendly, and we'll put it out again. Yeah. I mean, maybe, but they came out in the same year, so that's a really fast turnaround. Is yours St. Martin's Paperback, mm-hmm. uh, the company? Yeah. Wow. I'm trying to find anything that would explain why. I'm going to uh, expound a little bit on the manipulation thing, which, once again, I think is <laughs> the best part of the book. I think it's because it's such a good through line. She actually carries it through the book, which this doesn't feel crazy cohesive otherwise, since it feels like a book report on the movie, right? Thank Chapter you for three. getting us back into the text. Oh, no, I'm obsessed with this difference, too. <laughs> but it's made me feel even more of an obligation to, like, explain my text to you. Please. Hell yeah. Chapter three starts with, Since he, meaning Stephen, was afraid that she wouldn't take his call, Stephen headed over to her office instead. If she saw him in person, maybe she would suddenly realize how much she missed him and beg him to come back. He had his pride, of course. But that didn't mean that he wouldn't do it in a second. Stephen strode through the halls at Sassy, smiling at a succession of young, confident, well-dressed women. For the most part, they managed to seem both chic and intellectual. Under any other circumstances, he might have taken his time and tried to chat a few of them up. But right now, he was a man with a mission. Uh, and then it goes on to, he goes into the office and, and he goes, Hey, should we hang out? I... I got a big deal done at work, and she's going, I thought I specifically asked you to leave me alone for a long while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's like a much more sinister person in the book. Uh, and he like takes advantage of Chip <laughs> just enough. Like when it's working, he's like, great, cool. I'll take free cable. I'll take the bigger TV. I'll take your advice. The moment you're annoying and terrifying, I will cut that cord, <laughs> which is the right thing to do, to be fair. But what's the page count on that thing, Hannah? Um, 231. Yeah, I've got like 15 extras. Weird. Oh, man. Uh, photocopy those 15 extra pages and uh, PDF, uh, put them into a PDF and send them to me, please. <laughs> no, no, no particular reason. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, everyone stay on the call while I go to the library. No one has anywhere to be, right? <laughs> Sadly, I don't. Gabriel yeah. says, someone who loved the movie so much when you were young, were you and your brother or brothers, was it just two of you that were obsessed with it? Yeah, in 96, my third brother would have been like six or something like that. So he he wasn't feeling it the same way. (laughs) uh, My other brother is like only two and a half years younger than me. So we were like the uh, TV consumers together. Were you exposed at all to sort of the disdain for this movie that some people seem to have? No, as a matter of fact, though, I do remember seeing it in the theater as a kid and it not being Ace Ventura or Dumb and Dumber and being sort of like, oh, I was really thinking I was coming to like a nonstop gags. And then this movie, when it went to this, uh, I and I, I don't know if it's a novel concept, uh, but the idea that a show airs a bunch or a movie airs a bunch on cable mm. in certain I years, like that. that's, that's just something that's intriguing to me. <laughs> uh, so uh, <laughs> uh, it was on one summer. It might have, like there was a couple of times we, uh, like when my family had like a little bit more money, we had HBO or there used to be like, Oh, it's HBO's free this weekend or this month or something like that. And one of those overlapped with the cable guy being on HBO. And 
we watched it and fell like in love with it. We didn't love it when we saw it in the theaters or maybe we rented it again and started to fall for it. And then while it was on HBO, we just got so into it to the point where now in 2023, if my brother calls and I don't answer the phone, he goes, just in the shower, thought I heard the phone <laughs> ring. Uh, ever happened to you? Call me. We could talk about it. We used to, when I was in college, we would call each other. He would call my school phone and leave me like, eight voicemails in a row that were the exact quotes of all of the chip ones of like when the last one's just like oh shit <laughs> <And> hangs up <laughs> like <laughs> we used to do that all the time I was blow dry my hair thought I heard the phone ring call me we could talk about it that ever happened to you <laughs> and we used to say cable goo I which is like what he says when he's knocking on the door and which is uh, uh, in the nightmare sequence which is in the book which was cool but like we used to quote this this movie is like the, the amount of times I've said some of the ninth jump, Spider-Man. Like, <laughs> but, and that's not in the book. I was waiting for it when they get to the dish. I'm like, ah, oh, I'm glad that bingo, my three sons is in here because that's another thing I used to say because I'm one of three boys. <laughs> bingo, my three sons. <laughs> Chip and Larry Tate. The point that you made earlier about how when these jokes are written down, they aren't inherently funny. It's really all in the gym of it. <laughs> I felt that rewatching the movie with that line where Jim is going full psycho at the end and breaking into the apartment and he goes he goes I just want to hang out it's not a big deal and it's like <laughs> it's not a big deal like, it's written in the book yes, too and, I'm, yeah. I'm, <laughs> and it doesn't read. I'm holding my sides on the couch like I'm like I'm telling a story about laughing my sides are hurting <laughs> and I read it in the book and it's just I just want to hang out. It's not a big deal. I'm like, Harriet, what are you, what are you doing? Like, no big deal. There has to be a way to like make these jokes work as jokes somehow. What she kind of does, what you the most she can do in the prose is kind of like let us know that they're TV references sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, and I think if you're gonna do that, like that's got to get ramped up as well. And I mean, maybe you're getting further from the source material at that point, but. You gotta like give Larry Tate or Chip Douglas, whatever the fuck that. I, I, I'm getting confused now. <laughs> you gotta you gotta give the cable guy who gets called the cable guy a lot in the uh, almost like, exclusively capital. Yeah, which is funny. Like for a character who we learn has a bunch of aliases, we just call him by his profession. <laughs> uh, but like we gotta give him a little bit more of something, you know, that conveys that character, like. A good example is, and obviously this will never, this couldn't even translate if it wasn't Jim Carrey, but like the karaoke scene in the movie is so fucking stellar and so wild. And then in the book, it's just thing. like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the throat <laughs> thing. <laughs> yeah, the book is like, he did karaoke and it was really intense. Like, come on, <laughs> There's a joke in the final chapter that is, of course, from the movie where it goes. It's it's something along the lines of uh, he punched the cable guy. The cable guy fell back. Why are you doing this, Stephen? He said. Suddenly his lisp was gone. Stephen punched him again. That was mean, he said, and the lisp was back. It's like you that joke doesn't work in text. You can't do that. It does, and I don't want to be a dick, and maybe it's offensive, but you got to just write the th. Yes, in, yes. In that one line, I wouldn't put it in the whole script. I get it. Like, like that is like maybe offensive or make uh, makes it hard to read. <laughs> but in that one line, it should be like you know, it should just have the th sound instead of the s in that, and then the joke soars. Yes. 
Uh, my swords. <laughs> then uh, it's my for, favorite book compared to the ever read. Now and yeah, then I'm fucking ripping up a Song of Ice and Fire because I found my new Game of Thrones. You know. Speaking of Song of Ice and Fire, which I haven't read, I, I mentioned before recording that I've been going through the Dark Tower series, and I was very upset that the narrator <laughs> changed after like book four, and it turned out that he got in a motorcycle accident. And was hospitalized for seven years before dying. Oh, the, your audiobook reader. And Stephen okay. King took that long to write book five. Wow. It was like that entire horrible thing happened in this seven-year gap. That's crazy. I, uh, Along the same lines, I'm a, I'm a big audiobook head as well. Um, my biggest feat to date was I listened to all of uh, the Robert Jordan Wheel of Time series, which is 14 yeah. books. And uh, fourteen enormous <laughs> books. I did the math. I, I did the math. It is over eighteen straight days of audio. <laughs> I did that Woo. over the course of like uh, all of pandemic. But another thing I did was I re-listened to all of the Drizzt Doerden books. These are high high fantasy, dorky, forgotten realms level shit. But same narrator for like twenty straight books, and then for one trilogy, they go to a different narrator. <laughs> And it took me out of the series so fucking hard. The guy pronounced some main... Yeah, it's fantasy, so all the proper nouns are bananas. <laughs> like uh, They're like seven syllables that aren't in the English language. So like trying to get... Like, everyone's going to pronounce them differently, obviously. Like I didn't know it was Hermione until I saw the movie. I called her Hermione while I was reading the books. Like... He switched the names of the character pronunciation. It blew my... F it broke me. I was like, fuck audio, but... And then the next trilogy, the original homie's back on, and I'm like, oh, thank God. And I'm thinking, like, readers don't make that much of it. Yeah. And now I'm, like, weeping over as I do three more books, and I'm like, oh, fuck, no, this shit matters. Uh... Uh, so sorry to you. <laughs> I thank I, you for your uh, condolences. About your guy. Uh, I guess I'm more sorry for the homie who spent seven years <laughs> hospital ridden. Yeah, Frank Muller, <laughs> check out his audiobooks. He's awesome. The new audiobook narrator is Stephen King. It, <laughs> he's got a pretty wild voice. So he that's does, kind of but in the first 15 minutes of the book, he was like, for the character Susanna, who's a main character, he was like, uh, Eddie, you are not going to fuck with a black woman. I was like, Stephen, come on. <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> gotta love him i mean you just have to um you can't be mad at good old uncle steve i, I want to follow that through line of him being a crazy guy himself steven on 108 of my book uh steven has been talking to robin he learns that she's going on this date and he's upset about it and we get the one bit in my book of interiority of interior thought that is like has some value it says, uh, except that if she stayed home, like if she stayed home because he asked her to, she would hold it against him and bring it up during every fight they had for the next 20 years. No, you have to go, Stephen said with a heavy sigh, because if I say don't, then you'll call me a control freak, and I'm not. No, I'm canceling, Robin said. Stephen shook his head more vehemently, even though he knew she couldn't see him. No, you're going, he told her firmly. I'm not going to have this pinned on me. She let out her breath, giving it up. All right, then. Fine. What I'm a going. a sick argument. These little touches of, like, Oof. her walking into, or him walking into the magazine and being like, if I, I really want to win Robin back, but also if I was single, I'd hit on those ladies. And this, where he's <laughs> yeah. like, 
at Sassy Magazine. <laughs> and that's when you know you're in a movie. Uh, and this, where he is is imagining an argument, being like, I know down the line, when we get back together, you're going to hold this against me. It's good, toxic, like this is the way in which people are actually toxic. And it's just so weird that there is something of this value in the book because the rest is so lifeless. I also feel like in the book, he doesn't like come to a strong realization that he should not behave this way. He's like, well, whatever Chip is doing is super fucked up, of course. Nothing to do with me. I'm going to continue to date Robin exactly as I've been doing it before. Maybe slightly more attentively, <laughs> but maybe not, because <laughs> I can't take advice from that psycho who tried to kill us. <laughs> Everything he said that was good was bad, of course. <laughs> Could have used a, a beat where he like looks at himself. <laughs> it's like, I should change. Yeah, or like sees parallels between him and uh, the cable guy and is like, oh, right, yeah. I, <laughs> you're like, this guy's driving me fucking crazy. Like the earlier paragraph that you guys were talking about when he shows up to Robin's work, uh, it like goes on to say it's their first conversation since they decided not to speak to each other anymore. And it's like, you're not supposed to have that first conversation un prompted at her place of work <laughs> like i'm sorry in person you're supposed to get around to calling yes like like eventually and let them respond on their own time and all that he fucking is like well and like that's insane behavior yeah <laughs> and i i guess i don't remember broderick conveying that in the movie but i'm wondering if watching it now his behavior would be like that's not completely normal behavior, but I, I think he's such a sympathetic character in the movie. And I think it, it, it this adds a cool, complex layer that he's kind of got some traits similar to him and is maybe an obsessive, creepy, uh, parasocial dynamic with Robin. Uh, but I think the movie is stronger because you just need, like, the movie's so weird and, you know, like, kind of meta commentary and dark that you kind of need Matthew Broderick to be straightforward, like, and I missed the uh, I missed the visualization of uh, him fucking up with his boss. <laughs> like uh, like it's it was fine to read, but the and those hair plugs <laughs> and those hair plugs like the visual of that that could not be conveyed. And like I'm not a prose writer at all. I am a comedy writer, but I feel like you could just be like in that paragraph, be like. And what an unfortunate time for the uh, clip to keep repeating on as as he's walked out. Like some element of like explain how invasive and crazy that moment might be. Like, uh, but I I will say upon this reading I, is the first time I ever figured out what Stephen Kovacs does for a living. Like I guess <laughs> I never really knew what he was doing. I just knew he like did business, had a boss who had hair plugs and was uh, gets fired. Uh, like, I just knew that. But that's like a kid's view of the movie. It's like, I know he has a job. I know it's bad if he loses it. <laughs> like, I, I just like, that's all you need to know as a kid. I know that uh, they were uh, doctor, uh, military doctors in Korea, but now when they're back after MASH, what are they possibly doing? <laughs> this is the information I need to have. <laughs> I do think Matthew Broderick could do the stuff that is in this book. Like he is so capable yeah. of being like a creepy little like freak. Um, and I would have loved to see some of that in a different version of the movie where like if you toned Jim Carrey down about 10% and Matthew Broderick up 10%, you would hit something that 
could be interesting too. But like Carrie is so big. I totally agree. Like we need Broderick to be the most normal guy. So that when he like flips out at the anniversary party, it was like, this man's insane. We all agree with him right. as viewers. We're like reading the book. I was like, I mean, he's weird. He's a little hard on you, but your family likes him. He's being very polite. He's like playing. So in our version, Andrew, I guess instead of porno password, he ends up like wrestling with one of the like young nephews in a thing, in a, yeah. in a thing that's like quite wholesome and cute almost. Jim Carrey does. Yeah. Yeah, that's in mine, too. I have everything you have and more. (laughs) Okay. I wasn't sure if maybe it was a replacement. No. But that feels like a thing. I'm like, that's a guy who's like a good bring him into the family. He's willing to play with the kids and keep them entertained while you have coffee in the living room. He's a little weird, but so are we all, right? Do you do you have the Martin Scorsese joke? I don't no. know. Okay, so on right before the whole thing where she, oh he eats in slow motion. Yes, right. Mm, we do have that, that joke. Yeah. Yes, this okay, is pretty yeah, good. Yeah. I mean, it's the it's maybe the funniest thing added in the book, and it's partially the way that the cable guy says it. It's um, <clears throat> he's, he's eating in slow motion. Uh, someone at the table goes, "What are you doing?" The cable guy stopped moving in slow motion. Remember Goodfellas? Martin Scorsese uses slow motion photography to enhance his chilling tale of four wise guys. I can kind of see Chip saying that. That felt like a good moment of invention. It's so that family loves this guy, and he is the most bizarre person. Um, I mean, the surreality of the movie is so much that, like, when you get to the point where the family's like, "We love him," even though he's like the most terrifying freak. Like, it's Kafkaesque, right? Mm. It sells you. It sells you on it too. Like, if I remember, does he have like a turtleneck on? And like, to be honest, like the movie, like that worked. Like you're like, oh, I get it. He's like in his proper version, and he's got all these people fooled. And he totally did. Like he totally fools Stephen. So like, we know our parents can be even more naive than us. Once you're like thirty, like I- I've only been fooled by one Nigerian prince. My parents, you know, have been ravaged by the Nigerian royalty over email. But like it's uh, so like that. It makes it believable in the movie. In the book, it feels it feels less so. But also in the, I don't remember him doing time in the movie. Does he spend he a does. weekend in jail? He does. And, oh yeah, because of the oh Billy, yeah. which we I don't have. Mm-mm. I, oh, we. They I've mentioned got Midnight Express, but we really oh, got man. the wrong version here. This is the sort of thing with this podcast that is unavoidable because if yeah. there's no difference in author and no word on the cover that says like kids novelization, junior novelization, you just can't plan for this. This doesn't happen super often where we accidentally end up with different versions, though. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like this is a rug pull this is a true surprise yeah i'd say this is a nadir for the podcast for sure uh i'm happy to be here for the last episode so that's always (laughs) fun but uh i here's here's a tmi story but it relates to cable guys so uh here we go and feel free to leave this on the editing floor and feel free to pepper spray me halfway through they, they, they put it out as its own two minute episode (laughs) (laughs) it's it's controversial set the fucking pods on fire uh i was in the car with my dad as a kid uh contemporary to the movie coming out asking my dad about the oh billy moment Mm -hmm. like oh i uh, why did he like pull his nipple out and go oh billy and everyone in the theater laugh and my dad explained to me about the movie midnight express at the time and i'm a kid 
And he's like, I'm like, oh, cool. What what happens in the midnight in the movie? He's like, it's a reference to Midnight Express. I'm like, oh, what happens in the movie? And he's like, well, the guy has, and I'm a child, and he's explained this to me as frankly as possible. Unfortunately for me at the time, my dad's like, well, he's like completely lost his humanity. So when his girlfriend comes to see him, all he wants to see is for her to put her booby up on the glass <laughs> so that he can jerk off to it. And my dad just says that to me. We're driving in the car and I'm 14 and I get like a boner imagining that. So I like I like fidget in my seat and kind of like look out the window and look away. And my father, unbeknownst to him, says something that I will talk about in therapy for the rest of my life. He says, what'd you get wood from that story? And I was like, it just it fucking shattered me. I oh never spoke to my dad or watched like I couldn't handle seeing nudity in movies with him for the rest of my life. It like broke me <laughs> open, added like a weird shame to my sexual. And he didn't even mean it by that. He just was like being frank. But him saying that fucked me up for life. And like also as I got older and was able to analyze that, I'm like. It is crazy that like I yes. got wood hearing about like this desperate thing about That's the part I'm stuck on. <laughs> a 14 a 14 year old boy in a pre-internet era. We used to like in addition look, look we're we're spilling tea here. Other boys sleep over stuff. This isn't true for every boy, but we used to tell like erotic stories to each other because it was like as close as we can get to porno. It's like, yeah, and Jenny McCarthy starts licking your penis. Like, you know, we don't know like what is actually hot or how to articulate it. But we're saying like like that's something we had to we made our own and now I'm a professional podcaster. I see the I see the the uh, lineage. But uh Keep cranking to my voice. No, uh, but it was just like such a twisted thing. And now we're on full circle talking about the novelization of the movie that features a parody to the original. Now, if Midnight Express was a book, I'm going to fucking have a heart attack because that is. <laughs> it's of an era where it's realistic that it has one. Yep, it's a it's a nonfiction uh, written by Billy uh, about his time. So obviously, even that movie is sort of like a you know, could be favoring him the entire time. It's written by him. Because I heard he was also kind of like a piece of shit. Like, but now we're talking about Midnight Express. I'll save that for when we read the novelization next week. <laughs> the pimping you guys into episode ideas. No, it's good. That came full circle because, of course, Jim Carrey married to Jenny McCarthy for a brief time. So. Mm. Oh, shit. Mm. Yes. Holy. Look at that. I was just trying to think of who, who I had a poster of in my uh, childhood bedroom. All related. Jenny McCarthy and a uh, Lamborghini. So I think I'll have to go with Jenny. One, one thing I miss about the pre-internet era is just being a child and being turned on by very clothed people. Being like, that's a shoulder Dude, I've never seen before. I talk, Stockings were like the hottest thing in the 80s and 90s. You were just like, this woman is covering her legs. And you're like, oh, <laughs> like a young heterosexual boy. I was just like, whoa, <laughs> she has stockings on. You can kind of see through the she skin. She covered her legs. That means she knows she has legs. Oh, my God. This is a uh, soapbox I get on on every podcast. So this has nothing to do with uh, novelizations, but I'll get on it. More adult entertainment featuring performers that start in clothes please like, <laughs> like without going into too much detail but i miss people taking off their clothes to have sex i don't need to see like a black leather couch and two fully nude individuals let's start somewhere 
don't women wear jeans anymore, <laughs> porno directors? <laughs> I, I have often thought that it would be nice, that, and this is even, I mean, it encompasses porn, but it's like all media. I think it would be nice if we were able to experience more movies not knowing what they were or how long they were when we started them. Dude, just be like, is this the climax? I, I don't know. Is Am I watching a plumber go to work? Oh, he's taking his clothes <laughs> off. Yeah. <laughs> I... Dude, I if I can get to the theater without having seen anything or read anything, like mm-hmm. I like brain embargoed myself for Barbarian, and I had not even seen like one uh, still from it to go in there. That's a real victory. It's kind of hard with every theater in LA becoming an uh, AMC because uh, then it's like they just blast forty minutes of trailers <laughs> and keep catching them by accident. But if I can try to get to a movie without knowing anything, it feels like an insane victory. Like. We watched. I said I was watching Severance. We thought it was ten episodes. That's it's nine. The best. <laughs> yeah, and the ninth episode ended, and we were like, "We gotta play the next one." <laughs> we went to go play it. And we were like, "No!" And it was like, "Wow, we were watching that in a weird headspace, not like because it also ends on a cliffhanger." Sorry, spoilers from a year old series, but <laughs> I also want to shout out since we're mentioning Severance so much, which I liked a lot. That Escape at Danamora was incredible. Ben Stiller's best work ever, maybe. Yeah. Second to Cable Guy, uh, I think uh, Escape at... <laughs> it's better than Walter Mitty, but no, uh, Escape at Danamora was fucking awesome. That was a really fucking good movie. Uh, good series. Good series of short movies. <laughs> uh, you, Hannah, do you remember when we did the clueless uh, tertiaries and I, we played the game about who all these different Joshes were, what movies they were from? One of them was a Ben Stiller character named Josh Kovacs. Do you think that in his head that, like, the guy from, like, whatever that movie's called, Greenberg or whatever, that one of his characters is related to Stephen Kovacs? Oh, interesting. No. You think Josh Kovacs from Tower Heist? That's it, Tower (laughs) Heist. Related. He might be. A di- he might have been at the game playing. He might have been there playing catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I got to get back to the tower I live in. <laughs> I don't know anything about the movie. I hope no one ever tries to rob it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was gonna do the same thing. <laughs> I believe there's a heist happening at my tower right now. <laughs> I would love to believe that everybody with the same last name in movies are somehow related and interconnected. That is a game I like to play. That brings me a lot of pleasure. I think Ben Stiller really just um is a student of. Comedy. Comedy and likes Ernie Kovacs and mm. was like, that's a name that I linger on. It's, I think, a little Fair more enough. realistic. Uh, jumping back to Midnight Express, one thing that this book does do that isn't super explicit in the movie is it makes Stephen a lover of Cable on par or almost on par with the Cable guy himself. Mm-hmm. There's even like a line later on in the book, I forget exactly what it was, it's like, Oh, he's probably seen that bad movie eight times. Of course, I've seen it twice to know I yes. hated it or whatever. And like, mm-hmm. and, but without any self awareness, I forget what uh, I forget what they're referencing. It's but Water he literally World is at the end. Waterworld, correct? Yes, because he says, uh, "Dry land's a myth." Uh, <laughs> I, Dry land's no myth. I've seen it, and he's like, "Waterworld." It's actually pretty good. And in the fight, he says, "Like I've seen it," and that's a real moment where you're like, "Yeah, this would be a guy who would want." Uh, you know, no questions asked, a cool upgrade to his entertainment. Story, Definitely. Right? Like, he does get a little jazzed about the medieval time shit. Like, yeah. he does get into it, right? There's uh, like a really, that's like an end of chapter where he's like, you know, I did have fun at medieval times, actually. Yeah. 
not the end of the chapter, sorry. <laughs> but I think the book handles that way better than the mm -hmm. movie because in the movie he's like why are you attacking me at medieval times i am upset by this i am hurt i am scared and then they get back to his kitchen he's like we should go again next week it's very jarring <laughs> so uh, the midnight express thing in well i guess i'll start at the beginning of the book keep going back to the beginning page two uh when he's waiting for the cable guy to come and he's upset that he's not there yet it says I can't believe it, Stephen said grimly to himself. This is ridiculous. Not that he had limited emotional resources, but as far as he was concerned, a life without television was an empty life, especially since his girlfriend Robin had just dumped him. And then they keep sprinkling things in, like when he's in prison, his dad is like, we're going to get you out of prison, but if you do anything like this again, I will hire a bounty hunter to come get you. And Stephen thinks to himself... I've gone right from Midnight Express to Midnight Run. It's like, oh, this guy knows his movies, yeah. I guess. Uh, there is a attempt at a joke in that scene, so I'll just call it out for the sake of Harriet Gray, too. <laughs> Drag like, I'll get her. one of those guys if, uh, who will hunt you down for your bounty or whatever, and uh, he's like, bounty hunter? Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I think it's like some stupid shit like that. Uh, that's so fuck. I Yeah, he... He says Midnight Express to Midnight Run, and there's another... It, there's one where he's like, oh, this is this is like uh, blah, blah, blah. Now it's like blah, 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 and The Exorcist all in one. <laughs> yeah. I could have used more of those touches. <laughs> Me too. To like keep the cable running through the book. Well, even even the uh, the date he has with Robin is watching Sleepless in Seattle on cable uh, at his house. Like, not even like a vi video rental does exist <laughs> at this point in time. <laughs> like, you can watch it without commercials, and you don't need Chip to to beep Chip to have him come over and fuck with the wires. <laughs> oh, that this that was just for effect. <laughs> <laughs> of course, me and Hannah are talking about what's on the cover of our books. A little coaxal. <laughs> yeah, I, I have, given that I have a different cover, I have no idea what you're talking about whenever you mention cable. I'm at sea. <laughs> no idea. As far as I know, this is a, a movie about a man that looks a little menacing in a jacket. <laughs> it's uh, Just to circle back slightly, when we were talking about Sonic, uh, I was like, boy, Jim Carrey is super hot. It's really kind of amazing to me how not hot he is in this movie. <laughs> He's like such a versatile actor. You know, he can turn it on. He can turn it off. He's hot as Dr. Robotnik. Yeah. Neighbors, <laughs> yes. He's like really, especially in Sonic 1. Like, oh my God. Yeah. He's really hot yeah. as Robotnik. If you haven't seen the Sonic movies, I don't know if I would recommend them, but they are this weird thing where like every time Carrie's on screen, you go... This movie's so damn funny. And then it's like a, a, a fox and a little hedgehog. And you're like, what? Am, why am I watching this? <laughs> I've not watched one minute of a Sonic movie. but And my, my co-host of 101 Places to Party Before You Die is in there. <laughs> and you said, friend, no. <laughs> I was like, oh, there's a lot of movies, brother. <laughs> we, we, we sing his praises very effusively on those episodes. He is super funny in those. The other thing about this book that I want to hit is that, at least in my version, the cable guy is way more of a psycho than in the movie. Like, way more over the top. It comes to a head sort of in the middle of the book when uh, Stephen gets fired. And as... <laughs> let me find it. As he's leaving the office with his box of things, 
It says, uh, as one of the cops pushed Stephen into the backseat of the car. Oh, this is the arrest, not the firing. As one of the cops pushed Stephen into the backseat of the car, he glanced over at the cable guy and touched the size, side of his nose the same way Paul Newman and Robert Redford had in The Sting. So something I would have loved to see explored in the book that they don't go into is that he has the cop, Charles Napier, in his pocket. The cable guy runs the police. <laughs> He has connections everywhere. Premium. Client. He calls it later with the prison guard. Mm-hmm. He's like, uh, like he's got. So that that's a little apparent in uh, the movie too, because they like f- he flashes to the party and remembers that there's cops there, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like, and it's like, oh, these are his guys. Like he and it's a really funny extrapolation of something that really a small, weird, illegal interaction that happened all the time where you would offer your cable guy 50 bucks to get the spice channel. Or I whatever, didn't know that you was know? real. And yeah, that's like a real thing. Wow. Is because you can, yeah. And then there's also like growing up, you know, like my, you'd get like a friend had like an illegal box where you can get anything and you're like, just hook that up to your TV. And it was like, you know, like a weird Amazon fire stick bootleg or whatever. But, uh, the movie extrapolates an entire universe and like is like, yeah, fuck it. It's like a criminal underworld where <laughs> if you paid fifty dollars to get free cable. And it is sort of like the you owe me a favor now. Like I got yeah. you like you got let's I you get him wet. Like, you know, you get him mm-hmm. in the fucking pocket by having him kill someone in front of you or sign off on like receiving stolen equipment is like hanging over his head. Oh, sorry. Let's talk basketball scene. Because that's one of the best scenes ever in the movie. Yes. And it's, it, it's of course, almost nothing in the book. But we do have White Shadow. We do have... I just... The book can get nudged a little bit of like, describe the reactions and the physicality of Chip a little here. And mm-hmm. like, we can really sell up the excitement of... you know We don't have to quote Filter's Hey Man, Nice Shot that is in the movie sequence. But that was something that stood out as like, it's going to be hard to convey in prose form, but it fucking did not land anywhere near the movie itself. What I remember about this scene is that one of the only added things is that when Rick is guarding the cable guy really closely, the cable guy goes, what, you going to mug me? It's like, what does that even mean? He's like, you want to mug me? My, <laughs> my pants, the line is like, my pants are over on the bench. I mean, uh... Not my pants, my shorts. I'm like, is that funny? There is a part in the basketball scene where he's like, I have to warm up. And the writing does a thing where everyone, here we go. Everyone stared at him until he finished. Since this was just a social pickup game, none of them ever bothered doing anything as ambitious as wind sprints. For that matter, none of them ever even jogged in place. Usually they just did routine things like tie their shoes, which I almost laughed at. I was like, I I see the attempt of a a rhythm (laughs) joke here. Of like a build and an undercut. Okay, it's a it's a try. I attempt an attempt was made. Um, it's not high praise, but it's something. Definitely, there, there, there's stuff in the <laughs> <laughs> there's stuff in the book that I like. It's just like I always like it when you just go yes. <laughs> well, you know what what else am I gonna what no, else I'm... am I gonna you make incredible <laughs> points, Hannah, and it's just like they're unimpeachable and cannot even be commented on. Like the. I'm reading the passage now by accident, uh, and it's like it's so light that I can pretty much stay in this conversation while reading this book, <laughs> which is embarrassing. Like I got caught up in it, like reading a menu at a restaurant and keep it, being able to keep chatting. But it reads the basketball sequence, page fifty-six in uh, our uh, in our tomes, uh, reads more like 
an obnoxious guy to join your pickup game. But in the movie, it really sells as like, yes, it starts as like shit. And it starts in that real place of like, oh, I brought a friend from like a different world to game night with my uh, game friends. And now I have to like make these two sort of modes work with each other and I am a two different modes of myself and I got to connect them here and like that kind of plays well in the book a little bit and that's start that's where the scene starts of like oh shit and it's like but it escalates so much in the mo- in the mm-hmm. movie that it doesn't play in the book and it's like obviously they have filmmaking on their side they have cinema like <laughs> movie slow motion breaking the r- the rim does break but it doesn't land the same way uh, does he say Heineken in your version of the book? Uh, he does. Yep. Andrew? He does. Okay. Yeah. Don't think Heineken is in here. Mm-mm. I don't think I... It's clear. Maybe maybe Hannah and I got the Mormon cable guy edition <laughs> or something like that. It does say, let me buy you a drink, which is the closest okay. it gets to touching on alcohol or sex. <laughs> right. I'm I'm jumping around here, but one of my favorite things in the book, I'm just saying nice things because, like, why would I just go through and be like, and why this, not swing the other right. way? <laughs> I mean, almost every that sentence sucks. in the book I think is bad. So there's a selection of okay ones. The opening of chapter twelve. This is when they give us the scene where um the cable guy is meeting with Robin, which I don't think we get in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's just later like I invited him at lunch, but we get lunch in the book, uh, and it says. After his goodwill visit to the prison to give Stephen comfort and... I never know how to pronounce this word. Is it Sucre? Uh, The cable guy had promised to meet Robin at an outdoor cafe. Lately, whenever he had a chance, he would listen to the How to Cure Your Lisp in 30 Days tape that Stephen had given him. People at adjoining tables looked at him oddly as he spoke aloud along with the tape. But he didn't even really notice them. Besides, he always liked being the center of attention. Seashells seashells he recited carefully salmon salmon and this was good because i'm picturing jim carrey doing it and i'm picturing salmon. him yeah. saying <laughs> salmon but there's a good chance too that everything that i like about the book all these little additions were from the script we just don't know right it just i trimmed down yeah you basically when reading a novelization know it was invented by the author if if it's like interior thought right because it's like oh they're making up yeah he did this because blah 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 that wouldn't have been in the script but everything that's added here feels like dialogue that could have been Mm -hmm. cut and then when steven is fired and he's like in the parking garage and it's scary there is a sequence in the book where the cable guy arrives and like leaps on his car and Steven hits him with his car and they have like a car entanglement. Yes. Which they have a T one thousand. They have yes. a T two sequence, which is really fun. And that's like him chasing like and he's quoting Terminator to him, which is rad as fuck. <laughs> Not in the movie. Super rad. Like if you shot that, why isn't it in the movie? Yeah. Well I'll tell you why. Cause it w- it would be too new for the cable guy. Terminator 2 came out like a couple years before this movie. Not on cable. So yet. like it's not not on it's not on cable in his childhood which seems to be the foundation of you everything. You don't think this guy's keeping up on 1996 things like playing Super Mario 64 watching Farscape? <laughs> yeah. Farscape never even fucking heard of. It. <laughs> I like to think that he is so invested in cable that he just sits home and watches it constantly that he could talk to me about what's on. That's a a really wild additional sequence. 
And then when Steven shows up at the dish at the end in the book, oh my the cable God. guy is like on a horse oh my God. doing headless horseman stuff, which also is a shocking addition. Oh, it's awesome. But cool. <laughs> it is cool. Yeah, Would have loved I'm to see board. it. <laughs> it. It is written in such a way where it barely makes sense. As much as I like, I, I'm, I'm sorry to be a hater, but like, I, I thought maybe we were back in a dream sequence. Yeah. It was so out of Me left too. field. M- definitely. He got a horse and armor and a sword down to where he also got While uh, kidnapping Robin. a woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It seems like a lot. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the passage in question is uh, he's, he's coming up to the satellite dish and it says, Then he heard the sound of horse hooves coming towards him, and he whirled around to try and locate them. The pounding hooves came closer and closer heading away from the satellite dish until he saw a headless man on a horse galloping at top speed straight towards the fence. The horse had on the coat of arms from the Medieval Times restaurant, and Stephen groaned. It was clear now. He was doomed to keep living in the middle of this bad dream for the rest of his life. With his luck, there were probably a bunch of serfs and screaming tourists nearby too. When the horse was almost near the fence, the headless horseman used his sword to smash through the heavy chain and padlock securing it the gate flew open and the headless horseman and his horse rode through it and then it's like the cable guy's head popping up out of the headless horseman which sounds funny i wish that this sequence was written in a way that sounds funny and fun because like imagining it it rips i would love to see it done uh it was not super thrilling to read except that i was confused about what was happening definitely (laughs) the concept is uh looney tunes looney tunes fun yeah and then it sounds like in the in the novel, he like breaks Steven's back, like yes. like, ba- like he does like a WWE backbreaker, and there's a huge crack. Yeah, and he, he bounces back, an audible and, like, crack, fights back and stuff. It's pretty cool. <laughs> it what Hannah? What, no, John, go. I was about to say, you know, like the, I'm trying to find more information on it, but the screenwriter Lou Holtz Jr., the guy who wrote the, it's his only film credit <laughs> is writing this movie. <laughs> And he was... He had one idea. And he was like a L.A. district attorney. And he oh wrote this... Movie. Yeah, yeah. And his dad is like a famous vaudeville actor, which is just like such a crazy, small, like oh, weird kind of oh. turnaround. I don't know who the fuck Harriet Gray is, <laughs> but... <laughs> I mean, I guess being an L.A. District attorney, you probably meet a bunch of fucking weirdos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and one of them could be like so television obsessed. You're like, you should probably have a movie. There's something here. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> well, well, it makes you think about the uh the Menendez brothers, uh like the um yes. the, the sweet twins or whatever. <laughs> we, let's talk let's talk a little bit about that. Uh it makes you it makes you really think about that because it's like oh he's a lawyer watching these like huge celebrity kind of cases come come and go and uh it's funny how much that's in the book mm-hmm. too because it feels like they they get it across and they get some of the humor across too there's even like a deleted scene or a scene that's not in the movie where uh one of the sweet twins uh looks at himself <laughs> self and like pl- pl- pumps me, a shotgun in the mirror so yeah fine good yeah it's and it's good. eric roberts playing him right mm-hmm. in the made for tv movie and i was surprised nice. that he is name checked in the book as eric roberts and then it is eric roberts in the movie uh it feels like the sort of thing <laughs> yeah, where like yeah. the studio would be like you can't put his name in it we just don't know <laughs> i hope he gets 10 cents off every version of this book that is sold 
here's the Sam Sweet thing that was either taken out of the movie or, if we're being really generous, invented a whole cloth by the creative genius Harriet Gray. <laughs> the Sam Sweet trial has been thrown into chaos as a result of a videotape made a month after the killing. In this hard copy exclusive, an apparently intoxicated Sam Sweet puts on a macabre show for his friends at a party. The judge has not decided whether this tape is admissible as evidence. The camera cut to a shaky videotape that showed Sam Sweet at a party, with the time and date, so it was clearly after the murder, seen in the corner of the screen. Sam was standing next to a wall, which was completely covered with a huge mirror. He gestured drunkenly with a beer bottle as he looked at his reflection. Hey everyone, Sam Sweet said, leering at the video camera. Look, it's me and, he gestured towards the mirror, my brother Stan. He waved mockingly at his reflection. Hi Stan, it's so nice to see you. How are you feeling? He winked at the camera. Look, he's alive! Then out of nowhere, Sam's expression changed, and he punched the mirror, shattering it. Now he's dead, he said angrily. And then it goes on to have him be like, realize that he showed too much or something. He gets very embarrassed about like revealing, but I don't even know what that reveals. Wouldn't That's what I was just about to say, Andrew. It's confusing because in the the story is they killed their dad, right? It was twin that's brothers. That's the real Menendez brothers that you're thinking. Okay, of. so that's what I'm getting. Yeah. I'm getting that confused. So it's a twin who kills his own twin brother. Yes, allegedly. they were on a sitcom together, and they were like right, Olsen trouble. twin yeah, yeah, level yeah, yeah. famous. Yes. One kills the other, and then this guy's obviously really guilty, but he's pretending it was an Asian gang. And but then the defense attorney argues twin envy is their yes. defense case. Which, that was, I wrote a note where I, I said, uh, I wish Harriet Gray wrote something about twin envy. Because it seems like a rich thing for a novelization. Just do two paragraphs where you're like, yes. psychologists have shown that 60% of twins kill their twin or something. And like, given the yeah. mirroring happening with Steven and the cable guy, like you want her to get into that a little bit more to like, draw a thematic parallel and she could not be bothered no <laughs> lost opportunities abound i want to say that even though both of the men are extremely flawed <laughs> i'm also not so hot on robin being like we should take a break and the break being so poorly defined and he doesn't know whether they're dating other people everyone in this movie could communicate better agreed yeah. agreed Everyone seems really busy with work and personal like and and like a lot of stuff going on in their personal lives. Yeah. Like it seems like how long how long does this movie take place in or this book take place in? Like is it Two 6 weeks? days because Pops. it's like they have just like they have like a, a, something going on every night. It's like what'd you do this week? It's like well I went to Medieval Times and I played uh, Porno Password with my family. Like it's like your <laughs> schedule is so jammed in in order to pull off this movie. Do you have the part at the end of your book where he takes out the drill when they're on the satellite yes. dish. Okay, something I liked, which is that at the end of the book, uh, the cable guy takes out the drill and he's about to fatally drill Stephen, presumably in the heart. And he goes, let's find that sweet spot. And it's like, okay, this is the thing from earlier, but now it's serial killer. <laughs> mm-hmm. There is a sort of funny gag through that last sequence where they're fighting, they're knocking him down, and he can—he's like pulling out tools, like more than you think he would have on him. <laughs> like he has a staple gun at one point that he threatens Robin. Yeah, he with. puts like, the Robin's head. That, yeah. that is in the movie. 
it's just I, I'm so... not saying it's not. It's just funny oh, to me sure. that he has so many tools on him. It's like yeah. a well, they were all in the thing. saddlebags of the horse. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and just like cartoon logic, and I like it. That's all. If you uh, look online, which you know, it, on the record, I've said I spend my time badly, but there are so many theories about did the cable guy kill Stanton Sweet. Or oh. are the Cable Guy and Steven brothers? There's all these Cable Guy fan <laughs> theories. Wow. That's really funny. I can't imagine I, thinking that hard about it. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. Like, I like the Cable Guy, but it's not intellectually asking me questions, you know? Fair. Fair. <laughs> all right. Anything else we wanted to hit before we wrap up here, guys? Ooh, I feel pretty good, I think. Just knowing that that cable guy is out there and he's going to strike again, that's enough for me. Presumably with a broken spine, (laughs) he will have to do his next crimes. He'll find a physical therapist and stalk them. What is Steven's uh, friend's name who works at the news station? Uh, Rick. Uh, Rick. Now, Rick, like under nothing exciting on the page. Shows you the power of Jack Black in a small role of like, he adds so much fucking flavor that like, before I knew his name was Jack Black, I remembered his performance in this movie. Like before I knew who he was as a person, I was like, that's the guy from, bingo, my three sons. (laughs) Like they do have him say Yahtzee in the, which is like very much in the Jack Black wheelhouse, but that character on the page is not as real. Like, no one is as charming IRL. Like, Jim Carrey and Jack Black both bring, like, a full energy to something that on paper doesn't hit. So it's really funny to have both of those. Ca- and then they even have, like, interactions in this. And I'm like, man, a-, a movie that starred Jack Black and Jim Carrey going head-to-head now would do fucking Boku box office. <laughs> I would see that a hundred times. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, but mostly from Hannah, to be fair. <laughs> Nighthawk Cinema popping up. I love to support local artists and cinemas. Hey, look, we need somebody to voice uh, Shadow the Hedgehog. So Jack Black goes up against Robotnik. Get him in there. Let's go. All right, uh, John, the way that we wind down this podcast shares a little bit of DNA with your own. So I think you'll feel right at home. The only difference is that we sincerely do answer the question of would we recommend this book. So, Hannah Blackman. Oh, okay. (laughs) You are... I have a feeling we might have similar answers. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes that happens. I was thinking before this, Hannah, how, how funny would it be if we had had Gabers on and you and I were like, this is the best one we've ever I read. You have called the cops on us. <laughs> <laughs> Rightly. Yeah, I would have been like, I, uh, man, I, don't, I guess I am as detached from reality as people say I am. I've really <laughs> never met these two people wonder. before, and they are psychotic. <laughs> well, it's only a couple hours of my life, I guess, including the several that I read this book for. <laughs> I'm just grateful I got to read something. Another day on Earth. 
You know when you put like cut nails or like uh, uh, do laundry on your to-do list just to like get the ball rolling? That's like me in 2023. I want to read more books. Start with the Cable Guy novelization. That ought to kick it off. Happy to Next help. Next up. <laughs> it only goes up from here. <laughs> Next up is the Aftermash pilot script. That's Hannah Blackman. <laughs> the idea of watching after mash without having watched any mash <laughs> yeah, what sorry, happened to them over there <laughs> <laughs> yeah watching after mash without hearing about vietnam uh, <laughs> it's korea oh my god i'm gonna have to cut that i look like a <laughs> you look like a fucking moron yeah you do all right can you ask your question <laughs> You are the mm-hmm. boss at a, some sort of real estate thing. A real estate development company. Thank you very much. And your life is going very well. Uh, you love your hair plugs. You mm-hmm. love well, the way really you work with your employees. You mm-hmm. know that they love you back. Mm-hmm. And then one day, through some sort of computer program that certainly no one in 1996 except the cable guy understands. <laughs> <laughs> He has some really forward-thinking views about what the future of the internet and cable TV will be, and he is right about all of those things. <laughs> He's like, you can play video games with your friends overseas, you can watch TV and shop and do... It's true! We got well, there! It's true, but it's also really funny to have this big speech about, and you can do this and watch female mud wrestling, and then later in the movie, it's the exact same speech. He doesn't have new specifics. He wrote a speech, and he's delivering it like a tour guide at the satellite. Yes. <laughs> the information super high. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah, uh, you see a video on your computer screen that really brings all of your assumptions about self and friendship crashing down and hair plugs. Mm-hmm. In order to cheer up, knowing what you know, would you pick up a copy of The Cable Guy by Harriet Gray based on the story by Lou Holtz Jr. and the screenplay by Judd Apatow? Um, no. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I don't, this book would not make me feel better. It would not lift my spirits. It is neither thrilling nor funny as discussed. And my version doesn't even have the hot parts in it. So... <laughs> The hot parts. You know, the hot parts the of Cable Guy. business. My dad kicks the door down. Are you watching the Cable Guy in here when he got wood? No, Papa. I didn't even get to read a description of Jim Carrey's tit. So, pass. No. <laughs> Boo. No, I would not recommend this book. I would not read it again if, if that was my life. No. no. John Gabris. You are, and I'll, I'll, I'll read the passage from the book, you are the couch potato from the end of The Cable Guy. <laughs> oh my God, yes. <laughs> Back in the couch potato's apartment, he stared at the white noise, not sure what to do. He watched so much television that his skin was pasty white from never seeing the sun. In his whole life, the only thing he had ever done in his free time was to watch endless, mind-numbing hours of television. He then, of course, picks up a book. I thought this was a particularly bad ball drop by Gray, where she's like, yeah. let me go deeper on this character by... Not adding anything at all and not even giving him a name. Well, he grabs a book and it's like, I might as well read a book. Great moment to just put a fucking title in there. Like, if he, I thought it would have been funny if he grabs a TV guide. Just saying. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying if he would have grabbed TV guide or Entertainment Weekly, it would have hit like way harder and been funny. But as me, the couch potato, I will pick up the book 
put it back down on my nightstand, <laughs> get back into bed, and stare at the static. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I'd rather watch Dead Air than read this book. <laughs> so I, I would not recommend this. To, if anyone is listening to this podcast and has not seen the film, Cable Guy, I say, what the fuck? Turn that shit on. Do not read this book. <laughs> You do not have to do that. <laughs> Turns out the lesson of the cable guy is deeply undercut by the lack of success of the book. Don't read books, watch movies instead. The novelization of the film Cable Guy features a reference to the film Midnight Express, which is based on the book Midnight Express. <laughs> I just like that chain of, it's like Hairspray, the musical, the movie, or whatever. Like, it's like, it's just, it seems so fucking far removed. It's so funny that it's still being referenced. Well, if, if any listeners haven't heard it, or Gabrus, if you want to check it out yourself, we have an episode on the novelization of the Ethan Hawke movie, Great Expectations. <laughs> Wow, that is a journey. <laughs> that is layered. <laughs> Something I appreciated about that couch potato sequence this time is um, he opens up to like page 60 of the book and starts reading. <laughs> so, you know, it's a uh, TV guy. He doesn't need to read Monday through Thursday. It's Friday night, baby. Andrew Overbeam. Yeah, hi. You are a court journalist. You're covering the highest profile court case you've ever seen and you know that, that mm. when you get to deliver to the watching audience at large the number one results your whole career is going to change it's going to take off everything's mm. going to be amazing for you you've been killing time at the courthouse for weeks and you are so ready and in your moment of triumph uh, all of the cable service goes out and it's black and you can't do your one thing and your entire career plummets into the garbage now you have a lot of time on your hands you gonna read the Cable Guy by Harry Gray? Uh, knowing knowing what I know, I'm not going to read the Cable Guy. I thought this was a huge waste of time, <laughs> but of course, I have endless curiosity about these books, so I was still glad to read it, even though I found almost nothing good about it. Um, there were these little moments, and we've highlighted a couple of them. But there's in in the book he on the satellite dish. Uh, the cable guy falls into what is obviously more water in the book than in the movie. Enough to nearly and, drown in. Uh, they think he's died. They think he's drowned. And, and then it says, Neither of them notice the cable guy's nose slowly break the surface of the water and start sucking in lungfuls of life-giving air. There's there's little lines from, like, she's she seems excited for one second. There's another one where she's, like, having the cable guy talk, like, threaten Stephen, and, and he goes... I'm crawling around in the crawl space of your soul. Like, <laughs> All right. Yeah. But it's so few and far between. It felt like this person did not want to write this book. And uh, I'm going to keep it around because it's a funny thing to have. <laughs> but I'll never open it again in my entire life. John Gabris, you have projects. You've done them in the past. You continue to do them. Uh, what are they? Where can they be found? And why do you do these things? <laughs> the why is something I've been analyzing for years and I haven't <laughs> sorted it out. I think it's like a blend of narcissism and positive reinforcement via laughter from strangers. Um, but 
the what is I have a weekly podcast called High and Mighty, which is free wherever you get podcasts. Uh, I have a podcast, a weekly podcast called Action Boys, which is not free. It's a Patreon podcast, but we go long on uh, classic action movies of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We got a few free episodes. If you search Action Boys and look for Unlocked and Loaded, you can get some free apps, get a little sniff, maybe you get hooked, then come around for 5 to $8 a month. It's bang for your buck, minutes for dollars is like one of the best values on the internet and i know that is not necessarily a selling point <laughs> but for some people who have just time to fill you know like solitary confinement allows you to have podcasts highly recommend action boys if you paid five dollars on the first of a month that had 31 days and pressed play on the first episode and never stopped listening i don't think you would finish uh you would have to pay for two months <laughs> to listen to every every single minute of our show that's we have 300 episodes out now um, and then 101 Places to Party Before You Die. We were going to go to 101 Places. We've gone to eight so far. The rest is up to you, <laughs> Discovery, True, Turner, Warner, fucking uh, conglomerate, uh, Halliburton, whoever else, Exxon, whoever else is in this by the time this airs. feels like airs. they made you a promise. And they yes, should stick I want to it. Thank you. 93 more places to party. <laughs> I'm not getting younger, <laughs> Zaslav. Uh, yeah, so that's now on HBO Max. Uh, check that out. Co-hosted with Adam Pally from the Sonic franchise, a franchise of films I love. <laughs> <laughs> the, it, your your show feels like, uh, what was that show about the guy who had to do like 100 good deeds and then he could stop being a dog? Remember that? My name is Earl. No, that wasn't <laughs> no. it, but it was something like that. <laughs> there was something where every episode started with him being like, I was cursed to be a dog, but if I do a hundred good deeds, I'll be bipedal again. Oh, I like this. A dog's doing the good deeds in, the sh- in this? I feel, all right. Hannah, you I don't remember like- this? No, I also was like, oh, of course, my name is Earl, where he has to apologize to everyone he's ever wronged. Well, <laughs> that's the premise of that. Yeah. You're thinking of a hundred, a hundred deeds for Eddie McDowd. Is that the one you're talking yeah. about? Uh, and he's, a he's formerly a, a bully. Okay. And the theme song is "Who Let the Dogs Out." <laughs> oh my god! And Eddie McDowd himself is Jason During from Veronica Mars. Whoa! Whoa. <laughs> Hannah, it's really good to know that we just have a a backup podcast idea. Like, ready to go at any moment. Oh, we can just watch 100 Good Deeds for Eddie McDonough? Is that what you're yeah. saying? It's 100 episodes right there. It's 40 episodes. Yeah, it was canceled. Three <laughs> <laughs> He's still a dog. <laughs> <laughs> He's still a dog. He's still a He's dog, fucked. and John Gabris is not allowed to die. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, that's what I'm hoping, is that I accidentally sign something <laughs> insane, and it's like, I shoot the 101st episode, and then I'm assassinated by someone, but I, I, unless that happens, I live forever, which would be <laughs> shit. <laughs> to our listeners, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. If you're you know new to the show, because we recently came back from a hiatus, we have many great episodes. Hannah, what's your favorite episode? I love them all equally. I don't okay, know. Great. Oh, the- wow. Good save. <laughs> you could have said anything. And I won't. And I, believe and you. I never Could have said cable guy. Well, this was a I delight. Would've... This was genuinely wonderful. <laughs> yeah, and thank I... you so much thank for you coming, for coming on. on. We, we really appreciate it. This is my favorite episode of your podcast. <laughs> well, check out our Cowboys and Aliens episode. I'll go out on a limb and give one. <laughs> and also, uh, next week, we will be back with... 47 Ronin. 
with guest Patrick Willem. Jesus, you do you guys ever are sitting like uh, like out in a beautiful park in the sunny spring afternoon reading 47 Ronin novelizations say to yourself like there are books I want to read yeah. in my life Every that day. I'm not currently Every doing. Every single yeah. day of my life. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I used just to curious. I used to live in New York and I was reading novelizations like on the subway super publicly and I was just waiting for someone to ask because I had a lie like ready to go <laughs> to explain why <laughs> I would lie. Was, oh, that I had been hired story? to write one and I was doing research. Oh, that's a great one. Thank you. I, and I was my first question was going to be, was it different, uh, different lie for each book? Like, uh, my f- uh, my uncle is in Cable Guy, and I want to see if they reference. I, mean, I think it the that. easiest one is like, my kid wants to read it, and so I'm reading it yeah. first, or whatever. But I was prepped. My kid really wants to read Cable Guy, the novelization, and I have to make sure that I got the clean version, not the yeah. dirty version. Yeah, what do you got? What do you got? Wood over there? Sorry. <laughs> Every every once in a while on, you know, because I'll be I'll just be like surfing Ask Reddit when I'm supposed to be like doing my job. Every once in a while, there'll be a question that's, uh, wh- you know, what's the most attractive thing a man can do? And the top answer is always, always just be like if I see a man reading on the subway or reading on the bus, that's I, it doesn't even matter what he's reading. And I'm like, I bet I could prove that it matters what he's reading. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I got ten. I. I you know what? You're going to publish an article in no time that's like 10 books that are red flags. <laughs> <laughs> reading in public, hot. Reading these? I don't know. He was, he was reading a direct-to-book sequel to The Sixth Sense. <laughs> <laughs> the Seventh Sense? <laughs> now everybody's dead? <laughs> Wait, They're actually fucking... quite good. <laughs> yeah. oh, God. If you can take our word on anything ever again. The Sixth Sense books are pretty decent. <laughs> I trust you. I think. As usual, I'm going to close out the episode by reading a passage from a classic piece of literature. Please do tweet at Authorized Pod if you recognize what this is from. Chip Douglas looked out the window of the helicopter, his new best friend, the medic, sitting nearby. You know, it's funny, he said. I jumped from that satellite to my near certain death. But it really was only near certain. And now I'm on top of the world. It's almost like I was falling up. Good night. Today's game is Did You Watch Enough TV as a Child? Uh, Because I can tell some people that are declaring themselves latchkey kids are too well adjusted for that to be true. (laughs) A lot is going to be coming at you with these slides. The basic concept is that on each slide, there's going to be screen grabs from a movie that was a big cable hit. So it was released theatrically, but it played on cable endlessly. And... You're going to see the year of the movie and simultaneously hear the theme song from a television show that was big in the same year.
Okay, and, <laughs> and and what are you asking us? Yeah, to what do? am I guessing? <laughs> uh, on each slide, you just tell me if I did a good job or not. <laughs> no, um, well, someone is definitely a latchkey kid, then, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> no, on each slide, uh, one of you can can buzz in or or uh, or raise your hand or however you want to do it. Uh, either buzz in with your first name or or be like me, and. Uh, you essentially have the floor, so you can answer either question, what movie is this, or what TV theme song is this, and if you answer correctly, you then keep the floor for the next question, if that makes sense. Yeah, more or less. I guess. <laughs> Real softball as the first one. There's 10 of these. The first one, <laughs> just to kind of... <laughs> I, I thought me having to read a book to be on this podcast was a lot of prep, but you built a fucking PowerPoint, so you win. <laughs> The commitment to this podcast is eating my life. Uh, as I told <laughs> Hannah recently, my, my girlfriend keeps using the phrase, I am widowed, about things I do. So, All right, up first, what popular cable movie are these stills from and or <laughs> what TV show from the same year is the theme song from? The year 1988. Buzz John Gabris. <laughs> the film is Die Hard. Uh-huh. Do you have and any guess on the theme song? Hold on, it's coming. Uh away. Why do I know this song? Where everybody knows your name. Cheers. Cheers. Yes. Oh, well, he did, of course, you know, maintain the floor. And so it okay. is. Okay. Yep. Fair. Sorry, Two Hannah. I maintain no, no. the floor. <laughs> Those are the rules. And that's on me. So that is the, uh, that's, that's, that counts as points. But um, that's the happiest you two are going to be with me for the whole game. So. Oh, my God. Up Great. next, what Great. popular cable movie is this from slash what TV theme song is playing? The year 2000. Buzz Gabris? John Gabris. That's Deepwater Horizon? It's, this is not Deepwater Horizon. Oh, fuck. Well, then I lose the floor. Hannah, it's yours. Ha the movie nuts. is that one where they don't come back. The title of which I no longer remember. Does anyone have a grip on the theme song? I've heard it before. It's like... Oh, I've heard it. <laughs> what it if Grey's I told Anatomy? you that they, these are both George Clooney properties? ER. The theme song is, of course, ER. Hannah, do you have any guess on the movie? Shit. Well, I don't know the name of it, but it's that one where they go out fishing and they don't come back because it's a perfect storm. It's the perfect storm. All right. Two points to Hannah. This is, of course, <laughs> Damn, the perfect Hannah. storm. Talked myself to it. <laughs> Good work. The Good perfect work. storm scored two. ER. <laughs> okay. Got it. Up next. <laughs> okay. What is the movie or what is the TV show? The year 1981. So you keep saying... Andrew, you keep saying or, but the answer, unfortunately, is and, right? We have to say. <laughs> I think I, what I mean is you can guess either one first. Okay. <laughs> okay. Gabris. Gabris. <laughs> Three's Company mm -hmm. is the song. And then I'm spiraling on the movie, but I'm going to go with Stripes. This is, of course, the movie Stripes with the soundtrack to Three's Company. Nice. Oh, yeah. Very nice. Incredible. All right. Up next, which movie are these stills from? Slash, you get how this works. 
1996. I mean, this is Friends. Hannah, this is not Friends. Fuck. Well, what do I know? Why did I think it was? This is the real question. Magic. Oh, fuck. It's Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Hannah Blackman. Damn. Is, of course, Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Do you have any guess on the film? You know, the moment you say it, I'll know it. But no. What are we looking at in the stills here, Hannah? Uh, Ving Rhames and a monkey. <laughs> is and- that Ving Rhames? Yep, and that's yep, Burt Reynolds you. in a wi- in a rug. <laughs> this is a uh, film that I avoided on cable when I was a kid because I was uh, forced to be Catholic and I was trying to be good at it. Uh, this is, of course, striptease. It wasn't even. Oh man, I had that. It's it's not even. <laughs> it's the least horny movie to begin with, and then it's not even horny once it's edited. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> once I finally saw it, I was like, "This must have been cut to ribbons on TV." I mean, I agree with you that it's not super sexy but there's a lot of stripping yes but if you watch it on cable in 1996 you're going you have you have like a 70 minute kind of weird adult (laughs) black comedy of some sort right it's like a it's like a shutter original it's like 64 minutes long (laughs) and yes this is of course the theme song to sabrina the teenage witch up next, I want to apologize to Sabrina for not knowing it immediately. I want to apologize to Caroline Ray for being one of my first TV crushes because of that Very show. Very fair. It is uh, funny to have these theme songs that, after <laughs> about thirty seconds, are like, because that's what Three's Company does. <laughs> well, those were the best theme songs, where it's like, uh, tune in. They'll tell you the pre- like the nanny is like she's a nanny now and she's from New York. You know, it, like it just straight up just tells you what's going on. I love. Wow, it. I can really jump in on any episode. <laughs> All right, up next, what is the movie or what is the TV theme song? Nineteen ninety one. Uh, Buzz Gabris. John Gabriel Is the song Roseanne? The song is, of course, Roseanne. <laughs> and then the movie, I have no fucking clue. Uh... Hannah Blackman, have you have you seen this movie? I don't think so. You, I don't, you don't know, think right? so. Okay. I thought you hadn't seen it, which is a little unfair that I knew that. Um, <laughs> this was apparently the most uh, played cable movie of, like, 92 or 93. It is... Child's Play 3. Uh, I would have accepted any Child's Play, but this is the <laughs> the boy wow. from Child's Play at middle, military school, the toy executive who decides to keep making the toys despite all of the murders, and uh, the bottom is Chucky's blood falling back into the machine, making more <laughs> evil Chucky's. <laughs> Up next, what is the movie or what is the song? 1996. Gabris. John Gabris. The song is Kids in the Hall? It is not. No! <laughs> fuck! feel a little better about my horrible fuck up earlier. Well, I lose the floor. Yeah. Hannah Blackman, any guesses on this one? No, I'm so sorry. No. All right, what are we looking at in the photos here, Hannah? I mean, some, like, real staticky people. <laughs> this is, of course, the opening credits of The Cable Guy. Oh, deep cut. And the theme song is uh, the original run of The Daily Show with Craig Kilborn. 
Oh, oh I knew I got it. Uh, Comedy Central fucking 2002 uh, running. <laughs> to be fair, absolutely. Uh, I think that I think that's I think that's half a point. What do you think, Hannah? <laughs> no, no, I don't get it. No points. No points. No points. No play by the. <laughs> I respect the sanctity of the game. Play by the slap together rules. That's my that's my mantra. <laughs> <laughs> Up next, what is the movie or what is the TV show? 1999. This is but, The Green Mile. Oh, yeah, go. Okay, Hannah, this is The Green Mile. This, I agree with that. And what is the TV theme song? Um, I want to say it's like Farscape. This is, of course, The Green like, Mile scored to Farscape. Wow, that is incredible. <laughs> a TV show I've never watched. I'm so impressed with myself. I'm glad you're impressed with yourself because I'm embarrassed on your behalf for <laughs> getting right. it right. That's, that's <laughs> right. That's the right thing. I'm just a sad weirdo. I'm jealous, but embarrassed at the same time. It's a feeling like I've never experienced. <laughs> on vibes alone, I said, that's Farscape. <laughs> the thing that I remember about Farscape is when the miniseries came back like the sequel miniseries the big line in it was they were like john creighton is alive and i was like they're really assuming i know who that is <laughs> the main guy yeah yeah why do i know that about a show i've never watched <laughs> hey Minnie. uh i didn't think anyone would get that so here is a second <laughs> theme song from 1999 <laughs> All right, if no one's biting, this is, of course, early edition. Of course. Of course. Of course, your beloved early edition. Coach and a non-Indian fisher. It's nice. (laughs) Nice to catch one of those in the wild. All right, up next, what is the movie or what is the TV theme song? This is Stand By Me is the images. This is Stand By Me. I get the game now is say the movie right away and then camp, <laughs> and camp then until you figure listen. out the song. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you get the floor, sit for 15 seconds, listen to it, and then answer. Mm-hmm. I'm doing that from now on. Well, I don't know this song, Gabriel, so it's over to you. Oh, I don't know this either. All Veronica's right. Closet. <laughs> this is, of course, Stand By Me, and the song was Alf. Oh, man. All right. We're almost through this. Damn it. (laughs) Up next, what's the movie or what's the TV theme song? Uh, Outside Providence? I've never even heard of that. (laughs) Yeah, me neither. (laughs) (laughs) So that's a no. (laughs) That's a no. All right. Hannah Blackman, anything? Is this song Third Rock from the Sun? It is not. Wow. Okay. Because it's too late for Third Rock. I want to. I want to specify. I'm going to jump back in oh, the song. There's is like this song Two and a Half Men. It's not. Damn it! I, I just want to say, if you go back to just about now. seven seconds, you'll hear that there's like pooping noises in it. At some point. 
Yeah, right there. Big old wet fart. Oh, that clears it up for me. <laughs> this is, of course, <laughs> the supporting cast of Coyote Ugly, which was a gigantic <laughs> cable hit. And Wow. Uh, Melanie Linsky was in Coyote Ugly. Good for her. I had no idea. <laughs> I can't name this middle guy to save my life. Oh, yeah. No. He's cute. So, yeah, I was about to say he's probably worked. He's in a million movies from the time. He's gorgeous. <laughs> And the uh, the song here uh, from the uh, claymation, I think, opening or stop motion opening was Even Stevens. Oh, mm-hmm. that's the Shia LaBeouf show, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it was a bunch of little clay guys running around and pooping and stuff. Or I was a high school senior this year, so forgive me <laughs> if I didn't catch Even Stevens. <laughs> well, maybe the next one will be better for you. Our final question. What is the movie or what is the TV theme song? Trading Places. This is Trading Places. And I'm not going to be able to get this song, I don't think. Oh, no. 1983, Hannah looks like she's going through something. (laughs) She's going through her Shazam app. (laughs) (laughs) I don't cheat. It's it's got to be like, you know, Love Boat or some shit. <laughs> so that's gonna be my guess is Love Boat. It's def- I- it's not Love Boat. It is definitely for old fogies. I mean, that, there's that connective tissue. Murder she wrote. I'm gonna have to give this particular point to no one. This is of course, Trading Places, and the song is After Mash. Oh, okay. This yeah. is the journey I went on. <laughs> It started, and I was like, well, this is MASH, and then it wasn't MASH. (laughs) What was the premise of this show, Hannah? Well, at the end of MASH, the war ends and everybody goes home, and the premise of after MASH is what if these three characters continued to hang out? But they don't have, like, PTSD back in San Francisco (laughs) or whatever. I don't, I haven't watched it. What? So I don't know. <laughs> you haven't watched it after Mash? Okay. <laughs> I, am, well. <laughs> I know. I know. Disappointing to listeners and friends alike. I mean, if you knew how obsessed <laughs> Hannah is with Mash, that is actually kind of surprising. Oh, interesting. I do really. Yes, I'm a huge fan of Mash. I just this year watched all of it. Had a whole journey. Interesting. I mean, not this year, 2023. In the past three weeks. But, <laughs> <laughs> in 2022. In the a lot last of 365 days. Got it. Yes. Yeah. I hated Mash <gasps> because I would love to watch it now. I'd probably love it, but I hated it because it was like an old show that would mm-hmm. come on after you watched a couple of cool new shows <laughs> in the 90s, you know? And I had sure. like such a disdain for yellowy shows, for the sepia tone, like mm-hmm. 70s mm-hmm. look of TV, that I was like, shut this crap off, you know? And now I'm <laughs> everyone's like, it's a legendary sitcom, and I've never watched Cheers or um, <laughs> MASH because I hated the color of it when I was a kid. So maybe I, I should. I've also never watched Cheers. I'm with you there. I do think MASH is pretty good. And if you ever get to it, I hope you like it now. Oh, I, I will. I, I like the honesty, Hannah, of the show being like, it's about when they get back from the war, and we're going to have a theme song that's boring as shit to make sure people know. <laughs> <laughs> it only lasted one season compared to MASH's 11. So let that tell you something. All right. I, I am told. <laughs> anyway, we tied. That was a six to six game. Oh. I think we should feel good about ourselves. 
Uh, well, I made a tiebreaker slide, so if you can share screen with me real quick. Uh, <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I whip that up real quick. No, I have no idea how to use a computer at all. As I said, I graduated high school in 2000, so <laughs> this I is I truly all... believed you, and I was so excited. 